All right. Good morning. Good to see everyone here today. Uh, yes, my name is Matt. I do live in Arizona uh, for now, but uh, we've lived in Chicago and Hawaii and Arizona. The question I get now is more, uh, where are you living now? It's not really where you live, because if the Lord called us to uh, China tomorrow, uh, I tell you China tomorrow. That's just kind of how we live. And so uh, before we open the Bible, let's pray first. Let's pray together. Father, as we open up your word, we know, Lord, that you speak to us through your word. And our Father, the subject that we're going to look at today is a searching subject, but we know that if we come to understand uh, things that you hate, that's what we're going to look at today, we can certainly fall in love with you more and learn to live for you more and like you more. And so, Father, we just ask if there's a burdened heart that came to this meeting today, maybe a cold heart, we pray that that uh, heart would be encouraged as they would leave the doors today, be strengthened, maybe awakened. And, Father, that we'd uh, let the Holy Spirit guide and direct this meeting from the beginning to the end, and we might know your presence with us. We ask, Lord, to crush the enemy. Sometimes we sit in a service and we have thoughts that are distracting thoughts. We just ask, Father, that we'd focus solely upon what your word is saying this very moment. We ask all these things. Thank you, Father, for the person of Christ. Thank you for the cross, the work of salvation. Without the cross, without Christ, we wouldn't know each other. We wouldn't be bound for heaven. Our sins wouldn't be removed as far as the east is from the west. So, Lord, we thank you for him. In his name we pray. Amen. I'll tell you the hard thing about speaking is uh, your mind races uh, in every direction because really, from Genesis through Revelation, you see pictures of Christ and there's teaching for you and I. And so my mind was going to, um, you know, David and Samuel uh, seeing uh, Eliab and saying, oh, this is God's chosen. And God says, I don't look at the outward. I look at the inward. So I was going to speak to you on the heart, how God looks at you. And then my mind went to Colossians chapter three. If there's a chapter in the Bible uh, that uh, you can use in your life every single day of your life, because that's the practice in Colossians chapter three is Colossians chapter three. If you want to get a glimpse of what the believers to put off and put on and get glimpses of Christ, Colossians chapter three. And then God kept guiding my heart, and really, as, really, as of this morning, I sort of switched gears, uh, because what my thoughts were were, if we know what someone hates, we can start to treat them with love more because we don't do what they hate. Does that make any sense? I've never seen a marriage predicated on hatred. Never. I've never seen a brother come up to me and say, my, my wife loves me so much. Every time I come home, she slams the door in my face. And yells and screams. It's never been that way, right? We love each other and we do things because we know what the other person doesn't like and we don't do those things and we fall in love with them more and we serve each other. But let me get your appetite wet just for a second on Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to fly through Colossians chapter 3. Listen to these, these truths. As Paul is telling, and we're going to look at a passage of scripture in the book of Proverbs in a minute, but I just want to sort of whet your appetite to study this later. But as Paul is speaking to believers, he's saying, set your affection on things above. And that thought there is, as it were, to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, to have an unwavering look. I remember when our third child, uh, I remember Allison was a little scared. There were some complications with uh, Hudson. And I remember sitting at the bedside. She had amazing pregnancies and, like, flawless deliveries. Like just, But this time she was scared. I remember holding her hand. 
as the doctor came in and gave her an epidural. And her eyes contacted mine. And her eyes got all watery. And there was that unwavering look. You understand the difference of just a passing glance and then an unwavering look. And we were there for each other. God wants our look to Christ to be unwavering. Never take your eyes off him. Well, stop looking at man because they'll fail you. I'll fail you in about 10 minutes of talking to me. You'll see. Never stop looking at Christ. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, set your affection on things above. And then he says these things here. So I'm just wetting your appetite. I'm going to fly through this in probably 35 seconds. You'll see. He says, put to death these things, fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affection, evil desire, covetousness. And then he says, strip off daily. Don't ever think for a second that a brother or sister is absolute perfection. Uh, we need to strip these things off every single day. Some of us are more challenged than others in certain areas. Uh, anger, wrath, malice. Uh, this malice is deep-seated, this blasphemy, filthy communication and lying. And then he says, put on Christ. Now, the subject we're going to take on today, uh, the only way we can put on Christ is to put off something that we're going to talk about in just a moment. So you say, uh, Matt, you're a teacher by trade, I guess. Uh, I teach elementary school and collegiately, uh, but you're not teaching in the right order here. You're kind of going all over. I'm trying to whet your appetite for Colossians chapter 3. You just have to bear with me. Here it is. Put on, put on Christ. Mercy. Put on kindness. Put on humility. Put on gentleness. Put on long-suffering and patience. I trust you have patience with me today. I'm going to try to finish on time. Forbearance, forgiveness, and the main ingredient is love. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you see faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. That love was displayed at Calvary. That's why love is the greatest of these. But again, if we're going to fall in love with Christ even more, if we're going to live for Christ even more, we have to understand uh, things that God hates. This is not an easy subject to talk about, but I really feel led on these things. If I was to ask you the question, because now we're going to jump into it, and we went right around the room, and I, I started here, and I said, that, you know, sister, tell me something God hates, and brother, and uh, sometimes we'd hear things like this. Well, he, he hates uh, perverse lives. Uh, he hates laziness. But there's something in Scripture that's mentioned uh, and maybe you say, well, he hates blasphemy. You know, these are all things uh, God hates. But I want to look at the book of Proverbs to get an idea of what he hates. And the challenge here is the book of Proverbs tells us six things, yea, seven, that God hates. And I, and I, as I was looking through this, I thought, well, in half an hour, I can take all seven and get you a glimpse. It's actually impossible. Because the first one that he hates is the worst one. And uh, we could speak for a year on this particular topic and not scratch the surface. It's so layered. All right? So let's look at it. Proverbs in chapter 6. Now, these are searching things. As a matter of fact, I can't tell you the last time I ever heard teaching on this. Maybe you have, but, and I've only been saved for 22 years, so it's not, I'm not speaking from too much experience, but I don't remember this ever being spoken on. Proverbs chapter 6. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Number one, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth 
wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaks lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. That's verse 1, a proud look. I'm sharing this with you because we enjoyed together this morning worship centered around the person of Christ. And I couldn't help but think as I was listening to brethren get up and worship that he was worshiped with angels before time began. Now that thought is a profound thought. Not only is he worshiped before time began, he's worshiped at his birth from angels. You know, angels show up and they show up to shepherds and they say, glory to God in the highest, peace upon earth and goodwill towards men. And angels are worshiping. If you see Christ in the garden, you see thoughts about angels as well. When Peter with his temper uh, smashes a man with a sword, right? And then Jesus says to him, don't you know that I could call 12 legions of angels? That's up to 6,000 angels. But at the cross, you don't hear about angels. You ever have those thoughts? The amount of suffering and sacrifice that he did for you and I, I picture angels hovering over Calvary. They're not saying a word. He could have called legions of angels. And yet he's led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before his shears is dumb. He opened not his mouth. As a matter of fact, the seven cries on the cross are all cries of love for the sinner. All cries of a work of salvation being finished. You know, if you look at Psalm chapter 22, just to give you a little appreciation of what he did for you and I, those words that say these, For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. Do you know what the thought is there? Picture the one who was worshipped before time began, and he's God in flesh, and he's at the cross. The picture is this. They pierced my hands and my feet. They say that a lion, when it's running after its victim, when it catches the victim and it stands on the victim, it's a, and it pins the victim's hands or legs to the ground, and it roars. Christ allowed men to nail him, to pierce him to a cross. The creator of heaven and earth, the one who breathed into your nostrils the breath of life, and he allows men to pierce him to a cross. I find that very touching. I'm thankful today that our message of when we speak in the gospel, it's uh, there's no greater message on this earth, but it's not about a Savior who's dead, but the Savior is alive. And because he's alive, you and I can have life. And not only life, that's John chapter 10, verses 9, 10, 11, but life more abundantly. And so as we share these thoughts that are very difficult to absorb of what God hates, I just trust that uh, we start to appreciate and learn what it is to live that life abundantly because what God is saying in Proverbs in chapter 6 is God hates. Now this word is not allowed in our home. We don't use the word hate in my home. If you use it in yours, it's okay. It's not allowed in our home. It's still misused. When someone says, I hate you. No, they don't. Not the way God hates these things. And you'll learn about that just in a moment. So our lens of who God is needs to be adjusted to see him in scripture. And it's not really our man-made lens of who God is, but we really need to understand who God is and what he hates, and so we start to fall in love with him more. A.W. Tozer said these words, the basic trouble with the church today is her unworthy concept of God. Our religion is weak because our God is weak. It's just your concept. It's your lens. Christianity at any given time is strong or weak depending on our concept of God. And it's interesting what Solomon is saying here on 
God's hate list. MacArthur says these words as you look at this 6 and 7. He says, these two numbers, 6 then 7, are used both to represent totality and as a means of arresting one's attention. And it's really a profound glimpse into the sinfulness of men. Yes, we are saved. Our sins have been forgiven past, present, and future. And our home is in heaven. And no one can take salvation away. We're bound for heaven for eternity. That's what Christ accomplished on the cross. But in our human weakness, we can fall into really a plethora of areas when it comes to pride. You say, oh, this is so uncomfortable. I don't like it. I don't like it either, honestly. You know, when the speaker speaks, uh, we should speak this way, but there's always fingers pointing back. So many more. And so really when we speak on topics like this, we're speaking more to our own heart and we're allowing God to work in our heart. If you look at the uh, Sermon on the Mount of the Beatitudes, you see in Matthew in chapter 5, if we're to be like Christ, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, they who mourn, the meek, they who hunger, they who thirst for righteousness. I love hearing um, an announcement on discipleship mentioned twice, actually. There's a thirst for righteousness. There's a thirst to hear the word of God. There's a thirst to be discipled, to actually live and seek to emulate Christ in a world that has nothing to do with Christ. I told this story yesterday, somewhere here, but... Uh, do you know that in my, my son's high school, there's a, uh, a, a, a junior who's allowed to go to school, and she dresses as a cat, and she's allowed to meow to the teacher and to purr, and you can't say a word about it. So why do you tell me that? Well, it's foolishness, number one. But the world, I'm sharing this with you because this is the world you and I have to live in. We're not to be a part of this world. Heaven's our home. But we have to live in this world and navigate through this world. And so we have to understand uh, this is not only the world you and I are living in. This is the world our children are living in and trying to be raised in godly homes. And we have to understand who God is and what God hates in order for us to fall in love with him more. Think of these words in Colossians chapter 3 and verses 1 through 3. It says, Therefore, if you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Keep thinking about things above, not things on this earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. As I sat near uh, Brother Steve, I noticed he looked at Colossians 1, and I don't know if this is the verse he was looking at during morning meeting, but I love Colossians in chapter 1, because if you look halfway through the chapter, there's a verse that sticks out every time, and it says this, as you reflect on your own salvation, what God has accomplished to pluck you as a brand from the burning and set your feet upon solid rock. It says this, who hath translated us out of the power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. We were reading that one? Yes. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. That verse is so powerful. Do you know why? Because the thought there is this. You take someone out of a, a country that doesn't speak, or speaks a certain language, a certain traditions, a certain culture. So let's say we're, we're in Mexico and I've been there a thousand times, and you take someone that lives and was raised in a little town in Mexico, and you pick them up out of Mexico, and you plant them in New York City. It's a big difference. There's buildings. There's people. There's different languages. It's not only Spanish now. There's a, a, va there's a huge diversity of people there. 
And now he's speaking, or she's speaking, a different language. They're living a different lifestyle. When you were plucked out of the family of sin and brought into the family of God, you left the power of darkness and you were translated into the kingdom of his dear son. And that bar is set very high because we're to seek to emulate Christ. And um, there are things that happen in your life that sort of change your direction and change your focus maybe. Uh, we have a brother in our assembly. Uh, you can pray for him, uh, David Wright. He wouldn't have any problem with me telling you this story, but he was—he had some back pain uh, recently, and uh, maybe a year and a half ago or so. He went to the doctor. He kept getting checked, and come to find out, he found out he had cancer in his lower back. Uh, Dave Wright's a cyclist. He's very fit. He loves um, doing things that involve health. And uh, he told me, he said, Matt, you know, when I when I heard that word that starts with C, it rocked my world. And I realized when the doctor said you have three years. Now, actually, the good news is that they're starting to find some medication and different things. He's actually got longer, I think. Uh, he said, my whole world stopped turning. And in that moment, nothing else mattered but getting to know God more. You know, one preacher said, lifetime is training time for reigning time with him. And so it's good to get to know him. And God uses situations in your life to get our attention. And he certainly used that in Dave Wright's attention. But I tell you that story. Dave Wright's a very godly brother. Uh, he's an elder in our assembly, and I respect him a lot. And so for a man like that to say, I had to stop, and nothing else mattered. Like watching television didn't matter. Sports didn't matter. Like the whole, everything that happens in our world didn't matter. I wanted to get to know God more. Now, this is a subject that we're taking up here at Pride is... Uh, it's a subject that raises eyebrows. When you say you're going to speak about pride, when you're here at this side of the pulpit, you see people sort of sit up and or their eyes open. Or And I've taken subjects that are sort of um, raised eyebrows. If, if I was to tell you today, uh, there are things that God cannot do, I'd have see, people see sit up in their chair and say, wait a second, that's not true. But it is true. I've spoken on this before. God can't lie. It's impossible for God to lie. Did you know that? I love it because everything you read in Scripture is true. It can't lie. God cannot be unjust. God cannot reject a sinner who comes to him in faith in Christ. He can't. God can't reject the work of Christ either on the cross. See, these are things God can't do. These are subjects that raise eyebrows and sort of have us in our seat. And today we're going to look at one that is something that God hates. Now, I know in our home, and I told you this, that uh, that word hate, H-A-T-E, is not allowed in our home. It's not allowed for many reasons because it's over. it can be overused and... Um, I don't really believe my kids hate anything, honestly. But there are certainly things that my wife dislikes, and I know these things, and I make it a point not to ever do those things because it will be shown very quickly she does not like those things. For example, uh, biting a fork. I'm going to brother, brother's house to eat lunch here today. But biting a fork when you eat and scraping your teeth on the fork, my wife... Has no grace on that end. Actually, neither do I, because I've sort of learned this. We've kind of worked together on this. And uh, we'll say something to our kids, like, uh, you want the fork to eat or you want to eat your food? Like, what's the deal? Right? Uh, if we crumple a bottle, and I've heard it, it, there's a brother in our assembly who just started coming, and he drank a bottle of water. It was during morning meeting. And instead of shutting the bottle of water, he crumpled the bottle of water during breaking of bread. And you heard, like, <laughs> and my wife was like, what is happening? Like, she was so frustrated, you know? These are things that I refuse to do. 
And I don't do these things because I want to be the very best for her because she's my best friend. I don't have a better friend than Allison except for the person of Christ. So there are things in life we have to do and we have to know to be the best for God. And it would be great at the day that you pass from time into eternity and we show up to your funeral, as it were, and we could say, just looking at your life, and we don't really know your life too well, do we just know the outside, that costume, and he, we could say he or she was the best for God that we knew. They lived and breathed what God hates and what God loves. A.W. Tozer said these words. You say, well, you're going to quote a lot of Tozer. I'll probably quote a lot of Spurgeon too because I, I just like their reading. I enjoy their reading. They're very intelligent individuals. But A.W. Tozer said these words. Refuse to be average. Let your heart soar as high as it will. Refuse to be average. Let your heart soar as high as it will. And God says, my son, give me thy heart. Because if God has your heart, he has your passions. He has your life. Okay? And then you start to understand things God hates and things God loves, and you start to live in that capacity. I was... uh, when the Olympics were going on, I was struck with Cook Islands. You know, when they go through the, uh, you know, they walk through and they have the, the what is it, the beginning of the, the Olympics and they're showing all the different countries. It's fascinating how many Olympians make this and don't make it, honestly. But uh, Cook Islands, it says that one out of every 1,500, now we don't have this record here in the United States, but in the Cook Islands, one out of every 1,500 residents becomes an Olympian. And I wondered, what in the world are they feeding these people? Like, what training do they get? Like, what is their school system like? One out of 1,500 people are Olympian. And when they're in the Olympic arena, they're to act like an Olympian. And not only that, when they leave the Olympics, they're to act like an Olympian. Our brother's a doctor, so when he's in the hospital, he acts like a doctor. But when he's in society, he has to act like a doctor. There's a respect there. And these Olympians are not to go off and do crazy things. There's a respect level there. They represent the country that they're from. You know what I thought when it comes to being a believer? It's not one out of uh, every 1,500 are God's elect. It's actually 100 out of 100. It's a big difference. Like God called you by name. Every sin that our brother committed in the past, maybe he'll sin today and tomorrow, all those sins were laid on Jesus Christ on a cross. And he called you by name. And he knows the numbers of the hairs on your head. Like, these things are absolutely amazing. Why he saved a wretch like me blows my mind. And it was over 22 years ago. And even to this day, I can't wrap my mind around why God would send his son for me. Do you understand how precious you are? Vody Balkamp said these words. He said, it bothers me when you hear a testimony. Because if you heard my story... My story is a very dark story of how I was saved out of the bondage of sin and a very wicked life, and God rescued me. But he said, what bothers me is when I hear believers say, well, I don't have much of a story. Uh, I don't have his story. Like, his story, like, you sit there and you write a book, like, you make a movie out of his story. I don't have that story. He said, hold on a second. Yes, you do. He said, God came out of eternity into time just for you. And he put muscles and flesh and bones just for you. And he walked, the Son of God walked on this earth and didn't sin just to save you from your sins. And the Son of God gave his life on a cross and was spit upon and ridiculed and mocked and hated and violently treated just 
for you. Little girl in the meeting. Little boy in the meeting. My wife was saved at six. Shouldn't I don't have your story? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. It just involves different things. I love seeing young children that are saved because it saves them from such a life of hurt. There's a lot of regret in my life. There's a lot of darkness in my life. And God saves me from that. So yes, you do have a story. And a hundred out of a hundred believers are called to be elect and we're to hate what God hates and love what he loves. I have a believer that uh, called me one time. He's a, a doctor out of California, a very close friend of mine. He's my age. I envy him in a lot of ways. Uh, he's got the whole package. Uh, beautiful family, so do I. But beautiful house. He lives in Palos uh, Verdes, right on the cliff. Big house, $7 million house. And um, drives German cars. He's the head of his hospital. His wife is a uh, dr- uh, pharmaceutical rep or um, medical device rep, sorry, manages the whole West Coast. And he called me one day, he said, and he's uh, an elder in the assembly. Like, this man knows his Bible. He's a great teacher. Uh, Caleb might meet him. He's going to love this guy. They're going to click right away. And uh, But he called me one day. He said, I know there was a different tone in his voice. He said, Matt, um, can I talk to you? So this is not the normal talk. Normally we talk and we're making jokes or we get really deep conversation about scripture. He said, uh, I noticed his heart was heavy. He said, I'm tired of being successful at things that don't matter and failing at things that do. Just we talk. That's heavy. Do you understand what he's saying? In other words, the world and the noise of the world has gotten so much of his attention. He's gotten really good at his career and his, his, you know, his life and building up his bank. But he's, he's feeling anyway, and I really believe he's still successful, but being successful at things that ma- uh, don't matter, but failing at things that do matter. And he's just struggling there. Do you have that feeling? Why don't we leave this meeting tonight? and be successful at doing things that do matter. Let's hate what God hates, and let's love what God loves. Spurgeon said these words, He who does not hate the false does not love the true. And to he to whom it is all the same, whether it be God's word or man's, is himself unrenewed at heart. Let me say it again. He who does not hate the false does not love the true. And he to whom it is all the same, whether it be God's word or man's, is he himself unrenewed at heart. Brethren and sisters, sometimes we get confused by thinking God doesn't like what we don't like, but that's not true. God is God and we're human beings. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our our thoughts, says the Lord. And there are things he hates that you might love. He hates them. Um, I find it amazing. I'm not going to go down this tangent, but let me just share something with you because we have to be careful how we treat people. Uh, sometimes we fall into a, um, a sort of lifestyle where we demand, uh, like we're saved by grace, we know that we come to God just the way we are, but then after we're saved, we start to teach Christians to come to a, a, a place of worship in a certain manner, maybe in a certain dress, maybe in a certain vernacular, maybe there's a certain Bible we want them to start reading, and we start having this sort of costume that's built on the outside. That's damaging. That can hurt believers. Allow them to organically grow through the word of God. Treat them with grace and love. I can tell you a young man by Zachary. He's 22 years old. Zachary grew up in the uh, in, a, in a closed assembly forum and uh, same way I grew up. And uh, he showed up to a Sunday school one time when he was 14 years old. Still unsaved. And um, there's a brother that showed up. He had just come out of school. He showed up to a Sunday school program. It was on a Monday night. And the brothers walked up to him. He's 14. 
And he said, you should never show up here with shorts. Tomorrow, I'll put pants on and a shirt, like a nice shirt, like you're showing up to God's house. Do you know that he never forgot that? And that boy today, he's a friend of my son's. He doesn't want anything to do with God in his life. Careful what comes out of our mouth when we treat people. Mohandas Gandhi said these words. I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. It's searching. I ask you the question, are you like Christ? Now, yes, we fail. Of course, of course. But do we seek to treat Christians the way Christ would treat them? Do we seek to treat the unsaved the way Christ would treat them? Do we handle life the way he would handle them with his hands? Do we look at life the way he would look at them? Do we step into places in life where he would step? This is to live Christ. But this word hate is very important because, um, like I said, uh, hate can be used in so many different capacities. But here it's very, very specific found in Proverbs in chapter 6. As a matter of fact, Strong's would tell you that the word hate is found 147 different times in Scripture in varying capacities. But here, this hate is found five times, and it is the word sane in Hebrew. Okay? Now, it's important to pay attention to that. Because um, it's interesting when you look at think about five, it's grace upon grace. And so uh, through God's grace, he's showing us what he hates, so we fall in love with him more. I think that's a very interesting thought. But listen to the context of this word hate. In the Deuteronomy chapter 12 in the central sanctuary, there's regulations for profane slaughter. There's a sanctity of blood in verses 20 through 28 of Deuteronomy chapter 12. And then the words say this, pay, pay careful attention to all these things I'm commanding you so that it is always, that it always may go well with you and your children after you when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. Then you see the abomination of pagan gods. You see that in verse 29 through 31 and idolatry and the false prophets in verse 32. I know a lot of you know this scripture very well. It's Deuteronomy chapter 12. But verse 31 says these words. You must not worship the Lord your God the way they do, in other words, pagans do, for everything that is abhorrent, and that word is eva in Hebrew, it means detestable, to him, God, everything he hates. Same word. Same sane word. It's the same word there. They have done by worshiping their gods. They even burn up their sons and daughters before their gods. And he says, you must be careful to do everything I'm commanding you. Do not add to it or subtract to it or subtract from it. That word hate, sane, is in that passage in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 12. He hates that. That's the word. Deuteronomy chapter 16, the context is the Passover, the unleavened bread, the festival verses 1 through 8, the festival of weeks verses 9 through 12, the festival festival of temporary shelters 13 to 17. I'm flying because I'm looking at your clock. And uh, you were just reminded I could be long-winded. So I am going to get through. Um, and I know where I'm going for lunch today, too, so I'm, I'm really looking to get through here. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. All right. Um, and verse 22 says, You must not erect a sacred pillar, Deuteronomy chapter 16. And the Hebrew word there is matzavot, which means a stone pillar associated with Baal worship. Okay? And it's uh, aligned with, like, some hallowed visitation from all these different gods. And it says, A thing the Lord your God hates, sane, the same word there is used for hatred. In 2 Samuel, you know this, the context there of the uh, Tamar who's taken advantage of by brother Amnon. And it says, yet Absalom, in 2 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 22, it says, yet Absalom hated Amnon. Can you imagine the hatred? Someone had taken advantage of 
Tamar. It says, Absalom hated him because Amnon had humiliated his sister Tamar, and Absalom hates him so much, he puts him to death. That's the word there, sane. Same word. Uh, In Malachi chapter 2 and verse 16, you see the sacrilege of the priestly message. You see the rebellion of the people, verses 10 through 16. You see resistance to the Lord through self-deceit, verses 17. And then the end of verses 15 and 16 in Malachi chapter 2, it says these words, Be attentive, though, to your own spirit, for one should not be disloyal to the wife he took in his youth. I hate, hate divorce. Same word, says the Lord of Israel. And so we look at this context here in Proverbs in chapter 6, and that word hate, the six things, the seven things that God hates, that word there is pride or haughty eyes. And these seven things that God hates in this particular chapter, you can take this study up on your own if you'd like. I'll tell you, uh, just start with the first one, and it will take you the rest of the year. Pride is so deep and rooted and layered in so many capacities. It was so difficult to put this all into a message. It's literally impossible. You'd have, you'd have to do months of meetings. But um, seven things God hates are found at Calvary. The Shekajah are hot to worship. These haughty eyes, or the Hebrew word is ramen. Think of the men and individuals there that said, we will not have this man to reign over us. Haughty eyes. They were better, they thought, than Christ. We're not going to have him, who's so low, reign over us. The lying tongue or the tongue of deception. The mouth of the sinner who spat upon Christ. The hands that are quick to shed innocent blood. It says they opened his back like a plowed field. They were shedding innocent blood. The heart that devises wicked plans. Luke chapter 22 and verse 2 says the chief priests and the scribes sought how they would kill him, fearing him because the people were astonished at his teaching. These are things that God hates. Feet that rush into evil. Notice when they said to the Lord Jesus Christ, prophesy unto us who it is that smote thee. And he was blindfolded and he was the one that had breathed into their nostrils the breath of life. And he knew their hearts. False witness who pours out lies, something God hates. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 59, the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin trying to find false testimony against Christ to put him to death, but could not find anything, though many false witnesses came forward. And they're just saying all these different things that don't make any sense, and they weren't things that he had done. Man that stirs up dissension, or discord, or strife, or someone who's always disagreeing. Do you have someone like that? Don't start pointing. That's not a good thing to do by any stretch. And husbands don't point at your wife and wives don't point at your husband. But I will say, uh, sometimes you meet believers and you can spend time with them, you can have dinner with them, or, and it's the same believer always, uh, maybe complaining is not the right word, but there, there's always something there. Like there's always some sort of uh, uh, discord or some disagreement or, hey, do you see what happened last Sunday? I don't agree with. It's like, hold on, focus on Christ. That's the focus, right? Because these things, the stirs of distension, it's something that God hates. And Spurgeon says, he say, here you go again with Spurgeon. I can't help myself. Spurgeon says, we cannot love God without hating that which he hates. That which he hates. And if we stay close to the cross, brethren and sisters, we start to see things he hated. And we see things he loved. We see sinners. Uh, but to encourage you, maybe you feel you fall into uh, some sort of category where maybe there's something like this that is uh, in your life, something that God hates. First uh, John chapter 1, verse 9 says these words. If we confess our sins, you say, well, do I have to start that this week? or do I have to start? No, you can start that actually right now in your chair. You come to God just the way you are. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from 
unrighteousness. Spurgeon said, no matter how dear you are to God, if pride is labored in your spirit, he will whip it out of you. They that go up in their own estimation must come again down by his discipline. It's very, very strong words. Oh, it's 1130. I told you this would happen, see? Um, the problem here is uh, we've got a lot to talk about on pride. But let me just do this. You can look this up. The Hebrew word is ramet for haughty eyes. Okay, This self-focus, the lamp of the wicked, all right? this is pride. Um, Spurgeon said, be not pr- proud of race, face, place, or grace. But uh, I trust that you sort of look at these uh, truths on your own. I'm just going to try to go and close here. You say, well, how do we hate, Matt? How are you going to close and adjust your message to meet a time constraint? I know you're not constrained to time, but I'm very, I like to be punctual. It's just my person, personality. So uh, I'm not that long-winded. Uh, how do we hate what God hates and love what he loves? Well, in the past, in the past, prior to salvation, our eyes were used to be haughty in the present we can use our eyes to find out the good things that others are doing for God's glory and appreciate them. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And I will tell you, I cringe, I cringe, and I've had this happen, where a believer will say publicly too, uh, you know, the Lord's been working on me and uh, I'm so humble. No, you're not, actually. You're not. As a matter of fact, pride is what caused you to say that. Okay, so th- that's not what we're talking about. Just humble humility to be able to do things. You know, they say true character is what's done in the dark. To be able to do things without anyone knowing and you're living for the glory of God. In the past, we use the tongue to lie to each other, perhaps. In the present, we use it to encourage one another. Our tongues. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. In the past, we maybe used our hands to shed innocent blood. In the present, we can use our hands to serve the Lord. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6 and 7, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. In the past we exposed the heart to every kind of evil. I trust we're not doing that today. I don't think anyone in this room is doing that today. But in the past we did. In the present, now that Christ has given us a new heart, we need to guard it closely. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 says these words, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. If you want to get a good pulse on someone in their spiritual walk, I'm not saying that we judge anything on the outside, but talk to them for five minutes and you'll start to see what their heart thinks about all the time. It makes me sad, actually, to hear sometimes of a financial portfolio or how much you've excelled in corporate America. And I tell you, God does not care. You say, well, that's too strong. But, like, provide for your family. That's lovely, but, like, Believers need to hear more about Christ. Or maybe it's something you enjoyed in Scripture. Or maybe it's something God's doing in your life. Or maybe you're just pouring your heart out to believers saying, can you just please pray for me? I'm struggling in these certain areas. This is called real talk. This is, these are things that matter for eternity. Out of the heart flow the springs of life. In the past, we used our feet to rush into evil. In the present, we can use them to rush to the help of the needy. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. In the past, we might have spread false testimonies. I hope we don't do that today. It's sad when I hear that. I don't know if this is your personality, but when I turned 40, I'm 43, the filter that I once had to like listen to someone spread false testimonies or gossip or has actually been removed. It's not even that there's a filter there anymore. Um, like I'll, I'll usually just stop the conversation so I don't, I don't like we're done with the, I don't want to talk about this. Like I don't want to hear it either because it's toxic. 
I don't need to hear what that brother's doing or that sister's doing. You can talk to them about what they're doing if you want to. But have that, okay? These are things God hates. In the present, we spread, instead of spreading false testimony, we spread the testimony of the freedom of Christ uh, for those who come to him. In Acts chapter 10, we see these words. You want a revival book, look at Acts. I spoke on this uh, at Vinland. Peter, God takes Peter, who denies Christ, and then uses Peter. He doesn't use, he uses Peter. It says Peter rose up and lifted up his voice. God wanted a spokesperson. He takes someone who had just denied him and uses him for his glory. But Acts chapter 10 says, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is one appointed to God to be judge of the living and the dead. We stirred up dissension among our brothers. I used to do this actually in my unsaved day. Uh, part of my testimony is, um, was a little fighting. It was a little scrapping. And, um, I was just, just a lot of, Anger in an unsaved person's life. Stirring up dissension. Stirring up problems. All this drama. But now we promote unity. Brethren and sisters, we can't have unity. This is a big topic, not only in our assemblies. It's a big topic across Christendom. And we cannot have unity if there's pride in our lives. We can't. It's very difficult because when there's pride, I raise myself higher than you. I can't, we can't have unity. It says these words in Ephesians chapter 4, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Do you know what strikes me in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter as as it were? Love thinks no evil. And it gets me every time. You ever hear someone do something to you and you say, oh boy, like he did, I sent him a text and he didn't get back to me in 30 seconds like I expected. And so he got back to me four hours later and he must, uh, must be something he has a problem with me. Like there must be something there. There's some, you start to assume. Assumptions are deadly, first of all, right? Love, love thinks no evil. Love thinks, you know what? He's busy. He's going to get back to me later. All right. Let me encourage you because uh, you've probably heard a lot of things here and you say, boy, you're right, Matt. Like, it's our humanity and we're broken. But let me just say this. A.W. Tozer says these words. He remembers our frame. I close. And knows that we are dust. He may sometimes chasten us. It is true. But even this he does with a smile, the proud, tender smile of a father who is bursting with pleasure over an imperfect but promising son who is coming every day to look more and more like the one whose child he is. The world that you and I live in, brethren and sisters, is not an easy world to live in. And we're to emulate Christ and to live for Christ. Can I tell you, don't give up. Don't throw the towel. You know that the Navy's, I, I close with this. This is what I'm clo- I said I closed, but it was a quote, and I wanted to close with a story. But in the Navy SEALs, is there anyone here who's a SEAL or was a SEAL? No? I work out with a SEAL. Um, I work out with a couple of them, actually, who do CrossFit, and... Uh, these guys and girls are the most incredible superhero people you've ever met. Like, I'm talking monkey strength, okay? That's the only way I can describe it. Like, if you wanted them to crawl up the wall, they'd find a way with their hands to get to the top of the wall without a ladder. Like, they're just unbelievable people, right? And um, and they're always the fastest. Like, I do a workout in maybe 14 minutes, and the Navy SEAL who's with me does it in six. See the difference? It's a night and day. Like, it's embarrassing. And they look a lot better than I do. And um, But in the Navy SEALs, when you're being, becoming a Navy SEAL, there's a bell. And this bell is used to tap out and quit. 
So they throw them in sand, they throw bags over them, they, they try drowning them. Like, there's everything that the Navy SEAL goes through. They swim across the ocean. Like, they do all these things that, like, Superman can, like, it's, it doesn't make sense. And then, but there's people that tap out. They say that uh, a Navy SEAL at any point of the day can get up from what they're doing. The drill sergeant's yelling, can walk over to the bell and tap out. Do you know what happens when they tap out? They can kiss their career goodbye. It's adios. They tapped out. They are not fit to be a Navy SEAL. They are not the best of the best. Do you know what data shows? They had doctors analyze their, their, uh, Steve will know the terminology a lot better than I do, but, uh, you know, their body and their biology and their blood and everything that's going on when they tap out. Did you know that when they tap out, they think they're fried, they're finished, they're only at 40% exertion? 40%. They've still got 60% in the tank. And so if they have just would have gone through the motions and gotten through, like they still had 60% and they quit at 40%. Can I tell you, uh, let me encourage you. Jesus told the disciples when John the Baptist was discouraged, he said, blessed is he who's not offended in me. You're going to go through hard times. And so will I. And you'll run into people who have pride in their life. And you'll have pride in your life. Like, there's things that'll happen, right? But if we confess our sins, he's just and able to forgive us our sins. Brother and sisters, never, never tap out. Don't ring the bell. Call another believer and talk. Call another believer and pray. And better yet, speak to God just the way you are and ask him to work in your life. I trust these have been encouraging things. Knowing things God hates so we can fall in love with him more and don't do things that God hates. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for scripture that we can read and... Um, Lord, we know topics like this are searching. But Father, if there's one that we can look to that was the ultimate example, even though Paul would say that he was the chiefest of sinners, it's really a humble thing to say. And he would say, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. But Lord, when we look at someone who uh, never had an ounce of pride in his life, we look to the Lord. And it says um, that uh, he was made lower than the angels. And he made himself of no reputation. Father, the one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he created everything that we look around and enjoy and find so profound, and yet he made himself of no reputation. And so, Father, we just pray that just by the opening of Scripture and you speaking to us through the Word of God, it might spark some interest to dive into these topics deeper as believers that uh, not only live collectively here and worship through an assembly and a church, but also individually as we... uh, are not only uh, responsible to each other as believers on a parallel level, but, Lord, we're also responsible to you on a vertical level. And we're thankful, Father, that vertical relationship will never change. We disappoint all the time. And, Lord, we confess our weakness. We ask, Father, to make us stronger. And, Lord, ask us to, um, we ask, Lord, to remove pride out of our lives, if there's any. We know it's something that can um, cause a lot of sin and really a lot of problems. And so, Father, we just ask that the Word of God would continue to encourage Uh, exhort, edify, and that believers here would leave uh, more conformed to the person of Christ and encouraged to live more for him in a world that does not know him. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.